All right, well, great to be with you. Uh, I just want to share with you as I begin the sermon this morning uh, just a few problems that are not real problems, right? In our cultural society, we call this first world problems. And these are actual tweets from real people. And so just kind of take a look. This is Andrea. She says, I eat sushi too much. It's life is hard. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, all right, next one. I have a paper cut on my iPad finger. Every tweet is agony, but I persist bravely. <laughs> I love that, because you know, I love persistence. I think that's great, right? Next one says this. Uh, I, don't, I guess this is a restaurant, Q, and then a salad bar for 15 minutes to find they had no egg or giant couscous. To say this has ruined Monday would be an understatement, right? She loves her egg and couscous. Next one. Uh, I can't believe I bought a toaster with no bagel setting. Man, hey, you gotta, you gotta read the fine print. The next one's one of my favorites. This one is good. I don't have enough dip for my chips, but if I open another container, I won't have enough chips for my dip. And then my last one is my all-time favorite. This is the best. I'm hungry, but I just brushed my teeth. <laughs> like I struggle with that all the time, right? Uh, well, these are not real problems. These are things that we can make fun of and just kind of poke fun at. But this morning, that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about just real problems, the complete opposite, the huge insurmountable ones that have huge consequences, the stuff in our lives that really shake us. They're tears shedding. They are faith challenging. The stuff that you look at in your life and you wonder, man, can I get through? Because this is where we find the Israelites. This is a continuation of last week's sermon in chapter 13. We found out, right, God guides them, and now they're at the Red Sea. The problem is, is that the Red Sea is a dead end, right? So they have the Red Sea before them, and as verse 10 tells us, Pharaoh is drawing near. So the Red Sea before them, Pharaoh and his armies behind them, and they are stuck. Nowhere else to go. So they're in a heap of trouble. You can say it's a big problem. And you see, the reality is that all of us are going to have those moments in our lives, because they will come, it's inevitable, where we will have to face the big Red Sea problems in our lives. And I want to leave you with a question. When we face those problems, but we do it in a biblical way that honors God and glorifies Him. Because that's what we all desire, amen? All right. Um, I don't know if you didn't have your coffee this morning. All right? But that's what we desire, amen? Right? That regardless of what circumstance we face, that we would go through it in a way that honors God, that does it in a way where we understand the Bible and we live it out. So, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at this very important passage, Exodus 14. We all know it. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. But what I want to do is I want to draw out just lessons, golden nuggets of truth that we need to hold on to and learn from Israel, Moses, and how God interacts with them so that we can walk away with some things so that when we face those problems and those huge ones that will come, we can do it in a way that pleases God. Are you with me? Yes? Thank you. All right. So that's where we're going. So there are four lessons that I kind of want to draw out. The first one is this. Great fear comes when we see and think that the circumstance is bigger than God. 
I'm going to say that one more time. Great fear, say that with me, great fear comes when we see and think that the circumstance is bigger than God. Let's look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Now, this isn't a little bitty fear. When the Bible adds an adverb, adjective, anything to kind of fully explain more in detail, that means it's, 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 a, it's a great, great fear where they are panicking, and this is life-staking, and so let's go crazy. So people are losing their minds. Why? Well, obviously, Pastor Jim, because their life is at stake. But there's more than that. And I love it when the Bible actually gives us insight into a narrative story. In Psalm 106, you're going to see that the Bible actually gives us insight into actually the heart of the people right here. So I want to take you there. Psalm 106.7 says this. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider, that's a huge word, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember, that's another big word, the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So what the psalmist is saying there is this. There was a problem. It's not just that they just saw like, oh man, our lives are at stake. But more importantly, this was a problem even when they were in Egypt. They could not see God as he was. They could not clearly see God's power, love, faithfulness that was available to them. And because of that, what happens? Fear is not just this little bitty one, but it grows into this big, great fear. Have you ever had that in your life? Where the problem becomes so big that what? You don't see God anymore. You're just consumed by the circumstance and your worry and fear is just out of control. And you see, the Bible tries to always help us and points us to say, look, look to Christ when there is a struggle, right? Do you remember uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3? It's a very familiar passage for those that have grown up in the church. It says this, looking to Jesus, in in the NIV it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow, what? Weary or faint-hearted. You see, the idea here is, look, great fear comes when you see the circumstances bigger than God. And granted, the Red Sea is huge. The problem before them is huge, but they could not see that God was greater. So I want you to see the response of Moses because he's going to draw this out even more. What does Moses say? If you look at verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not. That's helpful, Moses, right? Like if you're you're in fearing right now, I go up to you and I say, hey, fear not. Thank you. You know, I appreciate that. Like I'm going to now, I feel better. No, but Moses is going to start drawing out why you shouldn't fear, right? He says this, fear not, stand firm, and look what he says. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You know what he's doing there? He's giving the Israelites, the people of God, a vision of God. 
a greater vision that our God is enough. He will work for you and he will fight for you. And if you could imagine, place yourself in the, in the place where the Israelites, they're hearing this. All they see is the Red Sea and they're consumed by this worry and fear. And all of a sudden you hear Moses saying, look, our God, he's going to, what? See the salvation of the Lord. Our God is going to work and he's going to fight for us. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you can feel it, but if I was there and I was someone that knew God, I would be reminded and my confidence would start to build. Yes? Um, you know, when I was doing youth ministry, um, one of my youth students, uh, his lung collapsed. So he was in the hospital. Unfortunately, it was the second time that it happened to the same lung. And so doctors told them, look, there you have some sort of lung defect. And so your other healthy lung will one day do the same thing. And if you don't have enough time to get to the hospital, you might die. So they said they advised them, hey, you need to get surgery and fix it. It's, it's kind of a very um, risky surgery where, you know, the chances of losing your life, it, it's still, it's, it's there. So on the day of the surgery, I went to go visit him. And so I wanted to keep it light. You know, I don't want to go in there and be all like somber, right? And he's already kind of, I'm sure, feeling the weight of it. So I went in talking about sports and we're just kind of laughing and having a good time. And then as we're wrapping up our time, you know, it obviously gets a little bit more serious. And then um, as I'm saying, hey, you know, you ready? Uh, you know, he, he closes his eyes and I'll never forget, he just starts crying. And uh, he just turns to me and says, I don't want to die, Pastor John. I don't want to die. Now, um, I was a young pastor, right? And uh, still in seminary. And so this is a critical moment. I knew, like, I needed to bring it. I need to say something like, oh, this is like, all right, I got to bring some good here. I got to get him right. Because he's really, like, he's in that mode where his faith is shaken. So I didn't know what to say, <laughs> right? Like, I literally had nothing. I didn't, I, but... Um, that week, I had done quiet time on a certain passage, and, and it kind of came to mind, so I said, hey, do you mind if I just share a Bible passage with you? And so this is what I read. I read Isaiah 43. I'd like to share it with you. And it says this in verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the, from the west I will gather you. Isn't that beautiful? So then I just said, all right. I still didn't know what to say, so I said, all right, can I just pray for you? And so we, we prayed. He still had his eyes closed. Tears were still coming down. And, and, you know, that moment of silence where I was like, should I say something? Should I not? And then finally he opened his eyes, and he turned to me and said, I'm ready. He smiled. And I'll never forget that because, you know, it's not some magic that happened there. But all that happened was all of a sudden he saw God that was greater than the circumstance he was in. And you see, great fear comes in our lives when we see the circumstance as bigger than God, when it's not. It's not. So we need to be people. Maybe you are in a season where it's really difficult, it's dark, and it seems insurmountable. I want to encourage you, my brethren, 
Let's fix our eyes on Christ so that we don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Amen? So that's the first one. Let's go to the second one. <clears throat> Point two is, is a little faster. Know that God works for us and fights for us. I, I love this. Know that God works for us and fights for us. This is straight from what Moses tells the people of God, right? So let's read it again. Verse 13. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. I love this last part. And you have only to be silent. You know why I love that? Because at this point, probably the Israelites, they were, they were filled with so much fear. The only thing they could probably do is what? Nothing. They could probably only sit there in silence and be paralyzed from the fear. So you know, what, you know what Moses is telling the people of God through really just this word from God is saying, look, you don't have to do anything. God works for you. He is enough. Even when your strength is gone, right? He's there. He's working on our behalf. And let me just tell you something. I'd rather have God working on my behalf than any other person on this earth. Amen? I'd rather have God working on my behalf, fighting for me, than any other person. Because he is greater and bigger than all the things that we face. And uh, so I moved from Korea when I was about six and a half, seven. And I spent the first six years in L.A. I don't remember too much about that time in L.A., but I remember three things very distinctly. And one of those things was my first fist fight. And so I was in first grade, and uh, I was in line during snack time. And the second grader, I didn't really know him well, he cut right in front of me. So I was like, hey, bro, <laughs> what's the deal? And even without saying anything, he turned around and smacked me right in my eye. And I had a black eye literally for two weeks. And the next thing I know, we were on the ground wrestling and going crazy. They pulled us apart, and it looked like nothing happened to him, but I had this huge black eye, so I looked a mess, right? My mom saw me that day, and she said, you can't go to school. Oh, my gosh, look at your face, right? And so she kept me from going to school for like five days. Anyways, my next-door neighbor, he was a good friend of mine. He had an older brother, who I didn't even know knew me, right? He was in sixth grade, so he's kind of more big time at the school. He finds out what happened to me, and so he comes up to me, and I kid you not, he said, John, who did this to you? said, I'm going to go to school tomorrow. I'll show you. <laughs> so we go to school the next day. And I, I, I will never forget any detail of this. We, we go to school, and this is recess again. So we go to him. I say, that's okay. So we go. He's like, hey, you the guy that did this to John? And, you know, he doesn't talk because he's scared. You know, at that point, a sixth grader talking to a second grader. Come on, right? So he's really scared. And then I was like, yeah, that's him. And he just he says something real simple. He just said, hey. You do that again. You touch him again. I'm going to mess you up. That's the kind of language we used to use back then. You remember? I'm going to mess you up. That you better not do it. Don't touch him again. And, you know, like, I, I didn't know what to do or say anything. I just wanted to add something. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll never forget this. This is really bad of me, and you can judge me if you want. But he was holding, like, a Coke or some sort of drink and an M&M. So I'll never forget this. And the sixth grader knocked it out of his hands. And I was like, yeah, boy, yeah, that's what you get. Don't mess around. And then I guess I wanted to add something, and this is so, this is so bad. But I didn't know what to do. So I picked up a few of the M&Ms, and I threw it at him. <laughs> you can judge me later. I'm sorry. I, that's really weak of me. But 
I kid you not, I walked around that elementary school like I was all of it. I mean, every day I was going, I'm going to be in line. Hey, you want to mess around? <laughs> right? Because you have this backing and this confidence rises. And so when this passage, when Moses is telling his people, God has your back, man. He's working for you. And not only that, you contribute nothing to the fight. <laughs> but guess what? It's still enough. And you see, this is the gospel message in a nutshell, isn't it? We really can't bring much to the table, but God literally says, that's okay. I'm enough for that. I'm enough for that in every situation. So I love that. God works for us and he fights for us. Maybe you're in a season where it seems tough and you feel like I am alone in this fight. I want to remind you, you are not. God is there. And God works. He loves you. He knows you. He's there for your behalf. He's available. Hopefully you'll be reminded of that and be encouraged. The third thing. I love this third thing. I think this is awesome. The third thing is move into action. Don't just pray. I love this. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You know what he's telling Moses? He's saying, stop praying. Go now. And sometimes we need to hear that. We sit there and we pray sometimes, and prayer is good. Don't make me, I don't want you to walk with Pastor and said, don't pray. No, no, that's not that. Like we pray, and once we are convicted and God gives us peace about it, move in action. Yes? We move in action. He's saying, look, stop crying to me. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Do what I told you to do. And you see, I think some of us in, in our culture today, spiritually, we need to hear this. God has been moving in your heart in some way or fast capacity and trying to move you in certain directions. Send an encouragement letter to this person. Go, go call them for coffee. Go ask them for forgiveness. Go and do something. We need to be a people of action and move in obedience to God. And sometimes we are just sitting there. Not to say that prayer is bad, but sometimes if you just pray and pray and pray and you don't do anything about it, God is literally going to have to work this miracle for that to come to fruition. He's asking us to just obey and walk and to move even when it's difficult. Um, for example, let's say you want to get a job, right? And, and I, I've counseled a lot of college students at UCLA when I was in campus ministry and then young adults. And some of the two big problems are what? Like job and then marriage. And in some of the frustrating moments were like, oh, I want to get married. You gotta ask someone on a date, right? That, that's how it works. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll say, I've been praying. No, I mean, great. Yeah, you gotta pray. Have you been meeting anyone new? No. Okay. Can you marry someone you already know? No, they're all like my brothers and sisters. Right? You hear that all the time. Well, let me tell you something. That's not gonna work out. Move in action. You gotta do something to be the answer to the prayer. Not that God can miraculously work in that, but here it's, an, it's a great reminder of leaning on God and saying, look, I need to be faithful to the task and the calling that you give me. Right? And he's saying, Israel, move. 
Don't just pray. Move in action. Now, I don't want to just kind of flippantly throw that out there because in this context, for the people of God to move, it was, a, it was to move into the Red Sea. It's an impossible thing. So I don't want to just say, like, just move. It was very difficult. But even in the most difficult of circumstances, if God gives you peace and comfort and conviction, we need to move forward. Um, David Livingston was a missionary in Africa. And there's a story about him. It says this, that... Um, a group of friends wrote him, and they wanted to bring some people to help his ministry. And so they wrote him saying, we would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? Well, David Livingstone sent this message in a reply, and the quote is in here. If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. First thought is like, man, he's a missionary. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Sometimes, even when the road is not clear and it seems tough, God will ask us to move. And I know our first reaction is going to be, it's, it's too hard. I can't. Let me just sit here and pray about it more. And sometimes God is just prodding us and saying, look, be a man or a woman of action and just live in obedience and trust in me. And he tells the Israelites that. Lastly, your life must be about obeying God and fighting off evil. Okay? Now, this might sound a little strange to you, but let me just draw it out. Uh, we know the story of the Red Sea, so I'm not going to really get into the details of exactly what happens, right? Because we all know this. If you grew up in the church, even probably some of our children know it better than us, right? So what happens at the end of the story? Anyone? Uh, you're not going to ruin the ending for anyone. An anyone? What happens? Please, anyone? I'm sorry, Scott, go ahead. The Egyptians die. They make it. It's, yeah, like, woo, like it works out the way they want. Okay? Uh, now, consider the fact that when that happens, what that should create, it should propel the Israelites to love God more, to live in obedience, and to live grateful hearts, and to just fall deeper and deeper in love with God, right? Yes? That's what should happen. But it doesn't. Because if you follow the history of what happens to Israel, what, what did they get consumed with? That problem, I needed you, God. You rescued me. But, well, now all I care about is my hunger, my thirst. I don't like that food. I need this. I'm going to complain. Because now it only becomes about my selfish motive and thought. I've forgotten God, even though he's just faithfully answered. Yes? Now, why am I talking about this? Because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul looks at the Red Sea and he speaks to the church. Because he wants the church to look at the Red Sea and learn something very valuable. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, in verse 1 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us as a church, right? That we might not, what? Desire evil as they did. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because some of us, you've gone through the big trial. It was like a season ago or two seasons ago. Let me ask you a question. Has that propelled you into a deeper love relationship to God? 
Have you walked out of that, forgotten God, saying, look, I'm just going to live for my own comforts like the Israelites? Or are you walking out of these moments to say, God, you are great. I need to love you and remember you, even when the road is straight, when the waves are not crashing down on me. Because for the Israelites, that was a struggle. And these desired kind of the selfish evil for their own comfort. All they could see was just where they were rather than God's glory. Right? Because this passage is all about God revealing his glory. And for the people of God, his desire is that we will live for his glory. And all they were caught up in. The problem is gone. It's all about me now. I want to challenge you with that. Can I just get a little real? I I didn't grow up in Irvine, but Irvine is fantastic in some ways, but it's horrible in others. Because it draws you into this lull where you think, it's all about me. It's all about what I can get. And all of a sudden, because everything seems fine, you just forget God. And then we need these big problems to wake us up. But what happens when that wake-up call is over? Do you just walk away going back to the same stuff? Or are you reminded that we should not desire the evil any longer? We see a God that has saved and delivered us. He is worthy of all of my life. May he be glorified. Amen? That is our life. That is what God desires to do in you and I. And if we walk away from the big problems not seeing that and learning that, Paul is speaking to the church and saying, look, we've got to know that that was a great example for us that we might not desire evil, but to walk for the glory of him who saved us. If you are going through a a trial, and it's huge, God is there. He's able. He loves you. Turn your eyes towards him. That you would see him as he is. Raise above the circumstance to see this caring God who loves you and is there for you. You know, when I go swimming with my daughters, one of the cool things I get to do is I, I get to teach them, but they'll be on the edge and I'll be like, jump. And you know what I'm talking about. And they don't want to jump. They kind of do, but they don't, right? Because they fear. But because I'm there, what do they do? They jump. See, some of us, we're looking at the water, and you're not looking at our Father. And you need to see Him, that He's there. And I know some of us, we maybe we're in a season where the problem seems insurmountable. God is big enough. I hope that you'll be reminded of that. If you're in a season when everything is well, look back, see His faithfulness, and grow and journey with Him for the glory of God. Amen? All right, let's pray together.